It is such a blessing to have each of you with us today, and uh, thank you so much for being willing to celebrate this Christmas season with us today. I do want to take a moment and just to encourage you, if you have not already expressed your appreciation to Daly for last Sunday's presentation, I encourage you to do so before you leave here today. What a blessing. They all did such a fantastic job, and it was truly a blessing to the kingdom, I believed. As we near Christmas Day, I do want to make sure that you are aware that we will have service next Sunday. I've talked with multiple other pastors, and there are many churches that will not have service next Sunday. I know that it will be Christmas morning, and we will adjust our schedule just a little bit, but we will have service. We will have one combined service. It will take place in here in this room at 1030, and I really hope that as many of you as possible can come and join us for that. I can't think of a better way for, for God's people to celebrate the birth of a Savior than to get up and worship that Christ child next Sunday. So we invite you to come. I think it'll be a great blessing to you. And I promise not to preach long next Sunday. Now I'm going to make up for that today. I'm just kidding. I hope not to. As I continue in the current series, you probably have noticed that there is a common theme of individuals journeying from darkness into light. And each time we gather, there is a new story to tell. I'm not a big fan of the liberal agenda that arises out of a company like Nike, but there is no doubt that there is much that we can learn from their business strategy. They have their business slogan that likely everyone in this room can quote, just do it. But that's not their primary messaging tool. Long ago, their owner, a guy named Phil Knight, determined that instead of marketing a product, they would focus on marketing a story. And this completely changed the shoe industry. Prior to their arrival in the industry, shoes were sold for their appearance, for their durability and their foot support. But with the arrival of Nike, they were sold based on an athlete and the story that that athlete Told. For example, the first Air Jordans were banned by the NBA, causing people to ask why and sending kids out in droves to get the banned shoe. It was, it was Jordan, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. His name was on it, and it was a banned shoe which made it attractive to young people. Or later, when Rory McElroy signed with Nike, and he got to play alongside his childhood hero, Tiger Woods. Nike recognized that there was value in a story that would compel you to action. By the way, this is not a new idea that Nike came up with. In fact, much of Jesus' preaching ministry was about telling a story. And even the Christmas story was about telling a story. It was telling a story where people moved from darkness into light. For example, as we looked at last week, this was true for the wise men who journeyed over 1,200 miles to see this Messiah, likely close to two years. I told you last week it was at least a couple months, but the odds are it took much longer than that. It was also true for the shepherds whom we'll look at during our Christmas Eve service this weekend. They journeyed to a town to see this thing that had been foretold to them by the angels. 
It was true for Mary and Joseph, whom I will speak of next Sunday, who journeyed to Bethlehem, giving birth to the light of the world. And today, I want us to see that it was even true for those who didn't even make it to the birth of Jesus. He still offered light in the midst of darkness. Today, I want us to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their story is told in Luke chapter 1, and I invite you to turn there with me to see it today. Perhaps you're familiar with this story already, but I want to give you another perspective to the story. I also invite you into their story. Imagine how they felt. See things from their perspective, from their own version of what the darkness may have looked like to them. And consider the hope that would have come to them in the story of Jesus. As you turn, let me give you a little background. One thing that you need to know is that Elizabeth and Mary are blood relatives. This will become very important as Mary will actually be sent to be with Elizabeth in the early days of Mary's pregnancy. But there's much more to this story today. Again, listen to this passage. We're in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So we begin today with a bit of an introduction. We're told of a priest named Zechariah, along with his wife labeled only as a descendant of Aaron. We often think of the religious leaders of Jesus' day as being less than godly, and I think for the most part, that is a fair assessment of them. But Zechariah is apparently an exception to this rule. Both he and his wife are described as righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's com commands and decrees blamelessly. Wouldn't you like to be described in this manner? Righteous in the sight of God and observing God's law blamelessly. Most of us likely would love to have God be the one to describe us in that way. But I admit that this description makes me just a little bit uncomfortable. I think of the Pharisees who were so focused on the law that they failed to recognize how much they needed grace. They failed to recognize that their goodness, their righteousness was nothing but filthy rags to the Lord. It was never going to be good enough. And I think sometimes we have sought to be good enough only to find disappointment. But here we are and we see that Zechariah and Elizabeth are described in this way. What that tells me is two things. First, they genuinely sought to live according to the law of Moses. They likely sought to be righteous, but they also followed through with the sacrificial practices, the system that God had instituted in the Old Testament. They didn't haphazardly decide, you know what, I think I'm going to be a good person today. They made a decision that they were going to live godly lives. We too need to have that mentality. 
But more than that, we see two people who genuinely loved the Lord. They were devoted to him, and God was pleased with what he saw. Later, Jesus would share that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. And it would, it would appear that Zachariah and Elizabeth are keeping that command. They love the Lord and it pleases him. But there is another part to this. There's also the expectation, especially among many within the church, that if those phrases describe you, that you are righteous in the sight of God, observing God's law blamelessly, if you do those things, that you will also have great blessing. You'll know great wealth, and everything will go well for you in your life. I want you to know today that that is a myth. The truth is that there is much darkness even among the godly. I'm not talking about the darkness of the heart, but I'm talking about the things that are going on in our lives. You can serve the Lord faithfully and still have to deal with difficulty simply because you live in a fallen world. In Zachariah and Elizabeth's case, we see that they are childless. Such a description may not be all that uncommon in today's culture. There are many who choose not to bear children, and still others choose not to even marry. But in their culture, the inability to bear children was almost like a scarlet letter. There was the assumption that you must have done something incredibly ungodly, and that's why God isn't blessing you with children. In addition, there was fear over your future. Who will care for you when you get older? By the way, if you didn't catch, this couple is already described as very old. That responsibility of caring for the elderly fell to your children. And of course, who would carry on the family name? The result of this would be a sense of darkness in the hearts and the minds of both Zechariah and Elizabeth. They likely even doubted their own faithfulness to the Lord. Perhaps they worked even harder in hopes that they might eventually do enough to please God, to be good enough that he might grant them the desires of their hearts. I wonder if they ever thought back to other characters from the Old Testament who have experienced a barren womb only to see God open their womb later on. Did they think of Sarah and Abraham who sought to bear a child only to wait until Sarah had reached 90 years of age before she would give birth to Isaac? Or did they dream about Hannah? She was married to a man named Elkanah. She longed to provide him with a son. After many prayers and tears, God would grant her a son, and his name would be Samuel. He would serve as both a prophet and priest, even being the one who would anoint individuals like Saul and David to be the kings of Israel. What if their story, those from thousands of years earlier, what if their story could be my story as well? I imagine that they often prayed that God would grant them a son. But I also can't help but wonder, did they even begin to question whether God was listening to them. 
If God is there, if God is there, is he really listening to my prayer? My guess is that most of us have experienced this kind of darkness somewhere along the way. During a time of need, you cried out to God and you wondered, is he really there? Is he really listening? Does he really care about my situation? Or have I done too many sinful things for God to respond to me? Let me tell you, that is a very dark day. And I don't know if the pastor is ever supposed to admit this, certainly not from the pulpit, but I have been in that position. I want to clarify that statement for a moment. God has always, always shown himself to be faithful. He has not always done things the way that I have asked, nor has he done things when I asked, but he has always been faithful. But there have been times in the midst of darkness that I wondered if he would answer it all. There have been times that I've questioned my own standing before him. Maybe I am unworthy. Let me just address that last statement for a moment. I've come to the conclusion that I will never be deserving of a response from God. There's no amount of goodness that I could perform that would make me worthy of God saying yes to me. Yet God graciously chooses to respond simply because he loves me more than life itself. But some days in the darkness, I can become so blinded by the unknown that I can no longer see what I already know to be true. My God loves me even on the dark days. If you are not encouraged with that yet today, I need you to hear that again. My God loves me even on the dark days. When the world is falling apart, when I question his reality, he still loves me. When I've done so many things that are evil and I deserve nothing but wrath and he gives me grace instead, my God loves me. And the same thing is true for you. Well, the days had to seem pretty dark for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Not only are they dealing with the personal turmoil of not being able to bear children, but the culture around them seems to be falling apart. They've been generations since the last prophet spoke to Israel, and it's been hundreds of years of moral decline among the people of Israel. They're now regarded as a lower class of people in somebody else's nation. That would be a role that they had become quite accustomed to over the previous few centuries. And while it may have seemed very dark, they continued to do what they knew they were supposed to do. Listen to it beginning in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So in the darkness, Zechariah presses on. 
Do you catch this? They're in the midst of great darkness. He and his family are in turmoil. Their nation is in many ways defeated. Yet in darkness, Zechariah presses on. He stays faithful in spite of the darkness. He's doing what he knows. But more importantly, he's doing what he knows is right. Sure, he could give up on God's intervention. After all, it seems that God has forgotten Israel. Seems like God has forgotten Zechariah and Elizabeth, but to give up on God would still be foolish. By the way, this wouldn't be the first time that God's people would have given up on God, doing what they knew to be right. Under the ungodly reign of King Manasseh many years earlier, Israel wandered far from God and his law. God's expectations had not changed. The law was to be held in high esteem and to be followed by all Israelites. And the priests were to constantly keep the law before the people, yet as time passed under this ungodly king, the law seemed no longer important. The temple is basically destroyed and the law forgotten. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we are introduced to a new king that would come along named Josiah, who would seek to make things right. He instructs that the temple be restored, and in doing so, those making the repairs come across the book of the law. The impending result is that Israel basically hits the reset button. They're reminded that God is still their best hope. They're reminded of God's faithfulness throughout the years. And they're reminded of God's high expectations upon them. It would have been easy for Zechariah and the other priests to turn their backs on God too. But Zechariah knows that God is still their best hope. The only way out of the darkness is to run toward the light. What they knew was that God had always remained faithful in spite of the darkness. And their best hope was to do the same, to remain faithful to God in spite of the darkness. And God does not disappoint. Listen to the encounter that ensues beginning in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And at this point, I almost picture Zechariah doing, there's at least three different things. One, are you kidding me? Now we're going to have a baby? We're very old now. Almost with a sense of, God, you're a little late to this story. Or maybe he's running around. Woo, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to have a son. Or maybe he's simply wondering, is this really an angel in front of me, or am I just a little bit crazy? Back to the passage. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In the midst of the darkness, the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. Basically, the Lord meets with him. And Zechariah responds just like any of us would. It said that he was afraid. And again, this is a logical type of fear. It is apparently a common response. It seems every time an angel appears, they begin with the words, fear not, do not be afraid. He's going through the motions of church, though. He went to the temple that day because that's what he was supposed to do. He's offering the sacrifices. He is burning the incense. But he likely never really expected God to show up that day. Maybe some of you can relate. You've gotten up and you've gone to church because, well, that's what you're supposed to do. But the expectations of God actually showing up and changing people's lives, changing hearts, is actually very low. You do it because it's the right thing to do, because that's what your mom and dad taught you to do. And then God surprises you. He shows up and he turns your darkness into light. I know that I have heard stories from many of you of a time when God showed up and intervened in your lives, perhaps in a song or in a sermon. Maybe it was at a camp meeting or a church service, maybe in a hospital room or even in your home, but you immediately recognized the presence of an almighty God. For some, it was a relationship that was beyond repair. It was a job opportunity that you longed for, yet it seemed so impossible. For some, it was just a phone call that you longed to receive or a financial need that appeared unlikely to be met. And for many of you, it was, the day, it was that day that God took you from being trapped in sin with no possibility of getting out to being set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the midst of the impossible, in the midst of the darkness, light shined through. For those who have personally experienced this, never forget the day that God showed up in your life. You have a story to tell. For those who have yet to personally experience that, I want you to know that that is available to you. And if you will seek the Lord, he is not going to play hide and seek with you. If you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. And when that happens, you will be filled with an incredible sense of both joy and conviction. There will be a peace that passes all understanding and you will know that this is more than just a feeling. God is changing who you are. And I believe he is still writing those stories. Well, back to Zechariah's encounter. As the angel appears, he begins with some of the most encouraging words ever spoken. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Zechariah, you've not been praying to a deaf, uncaring God. He has heard your prayer, and he has sent me in response. But I want you to think through this for just a moment. The, the thing that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying about, the thing that they perceived as darkness, was actually the tool that God 
would use to bring light to all humanity. Think about it for a moment. They couldn't bear children. God had apparently abandoned Israel and their immediate family. But actually, God was about to use this barren woman to bring the next prophet to Israel. Remember, hundreds of years have passed. God would use this child to prepare the way for the Lord, not only for Israel, but for everyone. Now, you may have noticed that we're talking about a different baby. Usually with the Christmas story, we're talking about the baby Jesus. But this time, we're actually talking about the baby John. Again, I mentioned earlier that Elizabeth and Mary are related. John would be the slightly older cousin of Jesus. But it begs the question, why are we talking about the baby John as the Christmas story approaches? John's role in humanity was simple. He had one job to do, and he would do it very well. He would eventually be referred to as John the Baptist. But all throughout his life, beginning even in the womb, John the Baptist would exist for the purpose of announcing the coming Messiah. In John 1 verse 6, we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Should we consider him as a prophet? Hear Jesus' answer in Matthew 11 verse 7 and 9. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. When John was still an infant, his father, Zechariah, being filled with the Holy Spirit, declared to him, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So this man would be a prophet of God. Not only that, but Old Testament scriptures actually foretell John's coming and his role. In fact, listen to just a couple of them this morning, along with their fulfillment. 700 years before Christ would come, we read in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, these words. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How can we be certain that this message was about John the Baptist there in Isaiah chapter 40? The message of Matthew 3, verse 1 and 3, prove it to us. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Therefore, we can gather that Isaiah was talking specifically about John the Baptist. And in John 1, verse 20, John himself acknowledged that he was not the Christ. And when he was asked, what do you say about yourself? His response was, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Well, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? According to Mark 1, 4, John literally preached in the wilderness with Matthew 3, 1, confirming that it was the wilderness of Judea. In what sense did he prepare the way for the Lord? As Isaiah had foretold, John's work was one of preparation, helping to get 
ready the soil. That is the hearts of the Jewish people who were waiting and looking for the Messiah. By declaring God's word to the Jews, John fulfilled what even his own father had foretold. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Or what about the prophet Malachi? He wrote 430 years prior to Christ. In Malachi 3.1 we read, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Again, how can we be sure that this is a reference to John? Jesus said so in Matthew 11, verse 7 and 10. Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So Malachi, just like Isaiah, spoke of John's role of preparing the way for the Messiah. So yes, we're talking about a different baby in today's story, but this baby would serve one purpose. He would point people to Jesus, and he would do it often. In his mother's womb, upon hearing the voice of Mary, the baby would leap within Elizabeth causing Elizabeth to give praise to the Lord at Mary's presence. Listen to the words of Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 42 through 44. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She already recognizes Mary as the mother of her Lord. We're talking about Jesus. Later, as Jesus' ministry was just getting started, John the Baptist already had quite a following. As others were coming out to him to be baptized. And one day as Jesus approached, it was John the Baptist who would declare, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's interesting is that just as the Lord met with Zechariah in that temple that day, the Lord longed to meet with all of humanity. And in a manner, John the Baptist merely served as the one who would introduce others to him. I have a good friend who is really good at this. I'll meet with him for lunch on a somewhat regular basis, and it seems that everywhere we go, Somebody recognizes him. And so they'll interrupt our conversation. And the very first thing that he does is to ask the question, oh, have you met? And he'll introduce me as a part of his conversation with them. He is an introducer by nature. Maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you are like that. I wonder, who are you introducing to Jesus? Everything about today's story is about God's love for humanity. He was sending an introducer who would bring people to Jesus. Well, John the Baptist is long dead. Who will introduce our world to Jesus today?
the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, the story of John the Baptist, and the story of you and I can be summed up in a very familiar passage. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. I actually referenced this passage in the first sermon of this series. I want you to hear it one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God saw the sin, the darkness of humanity, but he wasn't content with us remaining in that sin and darkness. So he made a way for us to move from darkness into light. There have been times where I've done something that I know I shouldn't do. And if the right person came around the corner at the right time, or in my view, the wrong time at that moment, I would have immediately been filled with great shame and embarrassment, maybe even the expectation of discipline. I want you to know today that God sees every single act that you have done. He knows everything about you. And yes, there is accountability. There is discipline that one day will come. But God looks at you and he says, I still love you. And I long to be with you. And I long for a right relationship with you. If you don't know that right relationship with him today, it's available. He longs to be with you. If you would bow your heads with me, Father, as we come before you, first of all, we come and recognize that there are likely those listening today that maybe they are not yet in a right relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would immediately convict us of sin Help us to recognize the things that do not belong in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hunger, to be made right. To no longer have to carry that burden of shame and regret. Lord, I pray that you would welcome us in. Much as you did the woman who had been caught in adultery where you told her, go and sin no more. But you also didn't condemn her. You offered her grace. Lord, I pray today that we would know your grace. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But help us to live as those who have been changed by the presence of God. But Lord, I also pray today for those in our lives that need to be introduced to your grace. May we be the John the Baptist, the individuals who we are introducing others to the Messiah. Lord, give us a boldness to speak clearly the love of God to those around us, to offer them a hope that the world does not offer. Lord, I pray that you would empower your people to change this world only by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, I pray right now that you would lay upon our hearts individuals that we ought to go and share with and just love on and invite to be a part of the body of Christ. Father, I praise you, and I look forward to seeing how you work in your people. Thank you for this Christmas season. We pray now that you would allow this to be more than just a holiday, more than just a time off from school, a time off from work, more than a time just to come together, but let it be a time for us to come together under the blood of Jesus Christ. May we know your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us today, and my hope is that this aspect of the Christmas story is more than just something from history, but it's a part of basically where we are today. Thank you for being with us today, and go in peace.